Welcome to the Sunday morning worship services from the sanctuary of the First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. We are located at 1328 Peachtree Street, next door to the High Museum of Art. Join us now for our worship of God. Please turn with me in your pew Bible to Philippians 4, 1 through 8, which can be found on page 187 in the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the Book of Life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are now in the third week of our sermon series, Wrestling with God. And when the preachers in this series were asked to select a text along this theme of struggle or wrestle with God, I thought about the ways that I have wrestled with God in my own life. I thought about the times I've struggled with God to understand why or where or how God is at work in the midst of the pain? Why is our all-powerful, all-good, and all-loving God allowing this tragedy? I've wrestled with God to borrow from Anne Henley's sermon from last week through the whirlwinds, through the big storms of my life and the lives of others. I've struggled with God in my attempt to affirm what I believe to be an essential theological truth that what God allows, God redeems. What I chose for this morning in our text from Philippians chapter four is not so much the whirlwind experiences of life that cause us to wrestle with God, but the steady, sometimes daily, consistent, the strong breezes that keep pushing up against us. What I'm thinking about are the difficult, challenging, even broken relationships that we know in our lives. 
these difficult, challenging relationships that for many of us calls us to wrestle with God. God, why have you allowed this division in our family? God, why don't you act so that these disputes and conflicts can resolve? God, why aren't you bringing healing and reconciliation into this relationship? God, why have you called me to be in this difficult place with this difficult relationship anyway? There is so much hurt and discord. We don't see eye to eye. God, why have you called me to this difficult relationship in my work, in my home, in my school, even in my church? For just a moment, think about the difficult relationships in your life right now. To be clear, I am not talking about relationships that you have put a boundary on because of physical or emotional harm that is being done. I'm talking about the relationships that just won't right themselves. I'm talking about the people in your life that you find it hard to love. I'm talking about the family member that you struggle to be in company with, the colleague that you have a hard time working with, the classmate who you're constantly at odds with, or even the fellow church member who you hope to avoid at the fellowship hour or don't want to be on the same team as. These relationships cause us to wrestle with God. I thought of the first time that I recall wrestling with God when I was in a difficult relationship. I was 12 years old, and there was a girl in my class that seemed to be everywhere I was, and we did not get along. When I tried out for the field hockey team, there she was. When I auditioned for the Velveteen Rabbit, there she was. Every place I seemed to go, she was as well. And we had totally different personalities, and I found it very difficult to be in relationship with her. We approached life differently, and I wanted to pray to God to help me. So I remember thinking, at least in my head, even though my actions did not always show it, I believed that God loved this other girl and God loved me the same. I believed that God wanted good for her just as well as she wanted good for me. So I thought I came up with a really good prayer and I embarked earnestly on praying that God would have her family move far, far away so that God could bless her there and God could bless me here. Now, God calls us to something more than these sorts of prayers. But as a 12-year-old, I thought that was a much better prayer than praying harm on her or something. Well, the text that I chose this morning from Philippians chapter 4 illuminates the gospel and calls us to a more excellent way when we have conflict in our relationships. In the first three chapters of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Paul communicates two marks or appeals to the church. And they get summarized here at the very end. What you heard Anna Claire read a moment ago, Paul begins, therefore my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. 
in this way, my beloved. And then continues in verse two, I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So in the first three chapters of his letter, Paul is kind of talking about these two points. In chapter one, and then what you heard again in verse one, Paul is encouraging the church to stand firm in the Lord. In chapter two, and then in verse two of chapter four, Paul returns in his appeal to the church that they would be of the same mind in the Lord. He calls for unity and reconciliation to prevail for the sake of the gospel. He calls that opposition, rivalry, and inner discord would cease. This unity and reconciliation will not come by an act of God moving someone to another town, although Iodia and Syntyche might have also thought that would sure make things easier, but it comes as members of the church actively participate in the often challenging work of being of the same mind, the challenging work of reconciliation and unity in Christ. We are introduced to two great leaders of the church, Iodia and Syntyche. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee points out that Paul rarely mentions by name people in his letters to these churches, unless to give a particular greeting in the beginning or in the close of a letter. The fact that he names these two women is important. He's not naming the women in order to call them out as the bad apples in the group or the troublemakers. Rather, it is exactly the opposite. Paul is naming Iodia and Syntyche out of deep friendship, respect for their ministries, and hope for reconciliation. These women, Iodia and Syntyche, are called co-workers in the gospel alongside of Paul, and now there is something that they are clearly not seeing eye to eye about. Today, the reader doesn't know what the conflict was about. Was it theological? Was it personal? Did it have something to do with their vision for the church? But every hearer of the letter in worship in Philippi, when the letter was read aloud, knew exactly what was going on. And Paul made a decision to address the conflict straight on. There was a conflict, and Paul was going to address it. Scholars believe that much of these first three chapters of Philippians connect to this conflict that is centering around Iodia and Syntyche. I can imagine how Iodia must have been struggling. I love this church. I feel like God's given me gifts here to bless and to be at work here and in the greater community of Philippi. And Syntyche is making it so hard for me. She's so difficult to be with. And I can imagine the same prayers coming from Syntyche, whether they had different personalities or different visions, thinking, I just want to do what I'm supposed to do, and Iodia is making it so difficult. One of the things that is so powerful about what Paul does here in Philippians 4 is about what he doesn't do. Paul doesn't choose sides. Gordon Fee points out the structure of, this, of the grammar of what Paul uses to write to make it very clear that he is not 
highlighting or favoring one woman over the other. He writes, I urge you, Iodia, and I urge you, Syntyche, even in the repetition trying to balance it evenly, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul believes that each of them has the power and capacity to be unified and reconciled to one another. Each of them has a role to play, to move toward each other and pursue unity. Each and every one of us have relationships in our lives today that we struggle with. And just as each and every one of us has the power to perpetuate discord and disunity, so too do we have the power to work toward unity and reconciliation. We have the power to take a position of self-righteousness. Born out of arrogance, we can treat the other as if they are to blame for our discord or our lack of peace. They're the problem, not me. I'm right, they're wrong. But we can also, in humility, recognize the role we play in why the relationship isn't what it could be. We have the power to utilize the tactic of calling people to choose sides, to say you're either with me or against me, choose this family member or, that, or me, choose this classmate or me, choose this colleague, choose this church member or me. Or we have the opportunity, like Paul did, not to choose sides, to break patterns of gossip, division, and enmity when we realize that we need each other to be the people God has called us to be. Paul needs both Iodia and Syntyche in their ministries to the Church of Philippi. And what Paul is trying to help them see is that they need each other to be the people, the, the women that God has called them to be in that place and in that time. Do you see that too? Do you see that as we wrestle with God in and through our difficult relationships, that we actually need the other to be more of whom God is creating you and me to be? When we put aside our arrogance and the divisive practices that we sometimes employ in asking people to choose sides, we leave room for God to be at work in our diverse gifts and be glorified beyond our imaginations. When Paul seeks to help Iodia and Syntyche in their differences, he does not choose sides. He calls for mediation in verse 3. And he reminds the women, and thereby reminding the whole congregation, of whom we are trying to be as followers of Christ. Rejoice in the Lord, yet let your gentleness be known to everyone. Do not worry. Be filled with prayer and thanksgiving. Know God's peace. Practice the virtues of truth, honor, justice, purity, and excellence. In closing, I wanted to offer an example of how I have seen Iodia and Syntyche in my own life. And I thought of many meaningful ways that I have witnessed people with differences work side by side for a stronger outcome, together rather than apart. But the example I kept coming back to reflect on is between 
the two men in my life, my husband and my father. These two men love our family, they love the church, they love theological discussions, and they love each other. They are co-laborers in the work of the gospel, and they are, in some ways, very different. I picture them like Iodia and Sintica, and what we hope these women were able to demonstrate eventually, a way that in their differences, they were unified in having the mindset of Christ, able to live out verses four through eight of our text this morning of rejoicing and fulfilling all these virtues that we are called to as followers of Christ. So here are two ways that I've seen it played out with my husband and my dad. First, when Tony and I were just married, Tony interned for my father's church at the First Presbyterian Church of Moorestown, New Jersey. Tony figured that he would wear jeans and casual clothing to a church during the week since his job was primarily working with the youth. My dad had a policy that his pastoral staff would always dress in professional attire always ready to make a hospital visit or to welcome a church member or community member into their office for pastoral counseling. For Tony, this meant wearing a tie to work every day. I thought it was great. He had not so many ties. We were seminary students. Of course, Tony did what my dad required. But what I witnessed from the beginning of their relationship was a grace and a respect that they had for each other in the midst of their differences. I also remember when Tony and my dad were having several conversations on the theological meanings and implications of the atonement theory. Why did Jesus have to die? If you wanna talk with Tony about that, there's a lot of interesting angles and perspectives on this um, well-studied theory. But it was the first of what has become many conversations that my husband and father were, as they may disagree, they may come to it from different perspectives or think the implication and applications are differently lived out. They approach the conversations where they give each other a safe space to hear one another and to honor one another, and they, they seek to learn from each other. In two weeks, when our church hosts the next conference, a large conference here for the Presbyterian Church, my father and my husband are leading a seminar on modeling reconciliation and love at home as a model for how we, rec we, we live that out in our work and school and church. When I picture Iodia and Sintica, or my husband and my father, I picture two strong and faithful leaders who are very different and who have the opportunity to be even more faithful and more fruitful leaders when they choose to honor one another and work together in the way of Christ. When I think of the relationships in my life that I'm struggling with, I wanna hold these models up and see how I might integrate this unity, this grace and understanding into the difficult relationships in my life. If God has placed 
this relationship in my life at this time, what might God be up to? What good might God work in and through us in our relationships? Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, think about these things. Amen. Friends, having heard the word proclaimed, let us rise and affirm our faith using the words printed in your bulletin. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. We from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, who taught us to pray not only for ourselves, but for people everywhere, hear us as we pray for others in the name of Jesus Christ. Inspire the whole church with your power, unity, and peace. Grant that all who trust you may obey your word and live together in love. Lead all nations in the way of justice and goodwill. Direct those who govern that they may rule fairly, maintain order, uphold those in need, and defend oppressed people. That this world may claim your rule and know true peace. Awaken all people to the danger we have inflicted upon the earth. Implant in each a reverence for all you have made, that we may preserve the delicate balance of creation for all generations. Give grace to all who proclaim the gospel through word and sacrament and deeds of mercy, that by their teaching and example they may reveal your love for all people. Comfort and relieve, O Lord, all who are in trouble, sorrow, poverty, sickness, and grief, especially those known to us whom we name before you in silence. Heal them, O God, in body, mind, or circumstance, working in them by your grace, wonders beyond all they may dream or hope. Bring to our remembrance all those who, having served on earth, now sing your praises eternally.
May their endurance give us courage and their faithfulness give us hope. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, and we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us return to God a portion of the gifts we have received. <laughs> 